listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tim, let's open up our beer. Yeah, let's just go straight to it. Uh, I am slightly influenced by our last episode, which just came out today as we're recording this. Uh, We talked in depth about the White Stout. And for today's show, I have probably the most appropriate uh, white beer, I guess. It's a white IPA, but the title of it, the name of the beer is just... (laughs) it It is the hex code of white. Uh, for those who develop HTML, CSS, whatever, it is just the pound sign and then six Fs. Uh, so one of you got this for me. It's sort of like a the nerdiest uh, design beer that I think I've ever seen, ever had in my possession outside of, I don't know, like just knowing the the story behind the beer label and being a part of our design beer episode way back when um this is this definitely takes the uh takes the cake for me um this is coming to us from culture brewing company down in solana beach california i knew it was sort of like south south county slash north county san diego but um it's in a small small town there i have had uh about let's see five beers from uh culture brewing i actually got out there exactly to uh that like off the train uh stop that they have just that sort of downtown looking tap room um and they had a triple ipa they had a double ipa a mosaic ipa pale ale i went for their like full uh hop medley uh as well as their sour medley um from thankfully you had the train to take home yes actually this is a it it was a nice sort of like hey you just kind of amtrak down and jump off and go to a brewery and and hop back on Uh, i know there are a couple of other stops sort of in the orange county area that you can do the same thing uh noble ale works is one that's right off the train if you're down in southern california there's also um chapman crafted out in orange uh, that's a nice, it is just a block, a single block away from the train. So again, I know you, if you're not in Southern California, this does not apply to you, but if you are listening and you're in the LA area, be sure to, uh, just jump on the train. It's, it's kind of like a, it's a neat little brewery hopping, uh, track and you can go to a lot of great venues, a lot of verified venues, um, and it's it's a really really good time. So I'm excited to crack this open. Tim, what do you have today? Uh, I'm going a little a uh, little wider reaching than that. I'm going over to Belgium with uh, my beer. Um, I was out looking for um, some cool products to shoot for our um, Instagram account and came across Delirium Noel. Now Delirium's been around for a long time, and it's one of those beers that I see around and people have talked about quite a bit. Um, but I've never actually had it. I think it's Delirium Tremens. Is that the the usual <laughs> one that's out there? Um, yeah. And so I was thinking, hey, we're getting close to the holidays. This show will be coming out the week before Christmas. Uh, and I, I did just seem like nice to do something a little different and um, try something new and uh, something a little more holiday themed. I, I would say mine's also holiday themed because I'm dreaming of a Christmas. <laughs> 
I feel ashamed laughing at that, but that was pr- that was really good. That was really, really good. In 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 considering the spear, I did definitely plan out that joke uh, far, far more in advance than I probably should have. But let's open these up and give them a taste. Oh, that's wimpy. Well, you're a wimpy little can, and I've I've got a cork over here. So let's see what we get off of this. Whoa! Hey, that had a lot of pressure behind it. So um, in rounding out what I my delirium here, um, it is a winter ale, so nice and themed. I love the little label here of the pink delirium elephants dressed up with a Santa hat and a scarf skating around um, in the snow. Uh, very cute. Um, it's 10% ABV and 20 IBU. Um, it is described as having a reddish brown hue with a bubbly white lace, has a smooth and creamy mouthfeel, and builds on the palate with flavors of yeast, fruit, and spice. A nice beer to drink with grilled meats and cheeses. Hmm. And my beer in particular, I believe, only has 22 check-ins to it, uh, which is real low. Wait, no. Sorry, 25. 22 ratings, 25 check-ins total. you got to be kidding me. I'm not kidding. Comes in at 7.2% ABV, 50 IBUs, so it's sort of like right in the middle for an IPA. Um, it is not hazy, just straight up West Coast. Doesn't mention what hops are in it, uh, but it is a white IPA. So the the fun nerdy fact too to add with that is that they at the same time as releasing, they also released uh, what would this be? Ooh, Ooh. Uh, the a black IPA, which is the black hex hex code, which is uh, pound or hashtag um, zero 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 zero. So that was also fun. I like their black and white back to back release there. It's truly a measure of of the uh, generation of which we are a part, where. You say hashtag, I say pound. I mean, whatever. <laughs> I was trying to figure out which one's more relevant. Uh, Tim, you actually drank this. I'm rolling back in your check-ins. You drank this back on September 17th of this year and had a wonderful photo uh, attached to it. You say it's hoppy and clean. So I'm going to give this a taste and, and see what I think. Hopefully it held up. Yeah, wow. Um Malty, m- more malty than I had anticipated. No straight up bitterness on on the front. A little bit of lingering, sort of tropical bitterness at the end. Um, it's pretty sweet for an IPA. Uh, not dry at all, and just kind of nice. It, it it reminds me a lot of sort of a a West Coast IPA or a West Coast pale. It, it tastes to me more like a pale, to be honest. At fifty IBUs. But it's kind of like a lawnmower beer, right? It's like a hot day. You're um, you can pound back a, a few of these. It's um, real easy drinking, super smooth, and surprisingly so. And I've I've kept this pretty cold this whole time, so it it should be a, a, as good as it possibly can be. Um, it hasn't been on out on a shelf or anything. So it is a gluten reduced beer. Um, so that may have something to do with it, but um, the hot presence is not not overwhelming. And and I kind of like it uh, for a, a sort of lunchtime beer. It's exactly what I what I would want. Something smooth and easy to kind of mellow out everything. Yeah. I mean, it's it at 7.2. That's not a session IPA, but it definitely tastes like a session IPA. Mm hmm. So basically, it's it's nice and smooth to knock back until that 7.2 catches up with you. 
and it's 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 balanced even though i do have sort of the the uh matching of the white ipa and the black ipa i should have maybe done these side by side i i do have the opportunity to do that if i feel like extending my uh my afternoon a bit here but um this alone by itself is pretty balanced and i like it a lot that's that's good um in contrast to the mere 25 check-ins which that's really kind of i'm i'm really shocked actually i'm very shocked um in contrast to that the delirium noel has eighty-seven thousand five hundred check-ins and uh sixty-seven thousand ratings yeah this one's been around for a while this is added back in 2010 so i'm sure it's been around for quite a while it's got a 3.82 global rating um right straight off the bat it's just spice, like holiday spice scents and aromas. Um, it's got that. It's got that um, kind of Belgian-y, boozy aroma, but it's very mixed in with um, what I, I just can only describe as like holiday spice. You, you, I, I feel like you can say holiday spice, and it's just a recognized um, scent that comes to mind. Yeah, like like uh, what mulling spices is that sort of the term for them where they've got this very like sticking your nose in a bag of potpourri almost yeah to a degree except um good potpourri not bad potpourri got it more more holiday less grandma (laughs) (laughs) yes indeed although the two do often coincide they do yeah very very associative you know as far as the flavor goes uh i feel like the um the, the spice and the holiday is a little underrated or like underwhelming in the overall flavor. Um, it definitely strikes me as, um, you know, kind of a, a lighter, um, although it is it is copper in color and, you know, with that 10% ABV, um, it, the consistency is pretty easy going. It's not at all thick or anything along those lines. Um, and it is very bubbly too. I mean, coming out of this bottle, there was a lot of a lot of power behind that cork, and yeah. you can see a lot of the tiny bubbles floating around in there. It's keeping a pretty good head so far. Um, and as you take a sip, you really feel all those bubbles just uh, tickling the taste buds. I'm really breaking all the rules today uh, on this podcast. I talked only about Southern California. I'm drinking a Southern California beer. This is a kind of by rule a very uh, old IPA, if I can say that. I got it back in the summer uh, from you. And you're not using proper glassware and I don't have any glassware. So just check <laughs> if you're if you're a longtime listener of the show, just check all the boxes. You do get uh, drinking socially bingo today because I'm breaking all the rules. <laughs> it's it's OK. We'll forgive you. So I'd say overall, this definitely has um, it has a very nice holiday feel. It's got that that um, champagne like fizz to it it's kind of feels very celebratory um it's i I can feel it warming me already (laughs) i guess yeah mine would be what white white hot maybe no that's (laughs) not a thing doing my best to to come up with puns here and i'm just uh just falling flat fall I, I will say now that i've had this it will make me want to check out the standard delirium um, and see what that's all about, because I, as I've mentioned before, I need to expand my horizons in the Belgian beer world. And uh, that seems like a pretty standard one that uh, is around there. So I'm going to put that on the list. Yep. Same here. I don't think I've had either of those, uh, especially the 
holiday one that you're drinking now, but uh, that is one that I need to try. It's got to be on my list. Do you do you have any specific um, holiday themed beers that you tend to try and go to every year? I know we talked in one of our previous episodes about the uh, top five kind of holiday beers, and obviously there's like celebrations in there. And um, what do you have anything that kind of stands in that realm? Um, uh, no, not really. I think for, for me, it's like the special ones I've been keeping for a long time. Uh, the ones that are barrel aged imperial stouts and things like that, that I likely won't drink a 22 ounce bottle of that by myself. I want to be able to share it with friends and family. And um, it becomes sort of like a special like, hey, oh, you brought this you know, sour or whatever that you've been aging for for a little while or this um, enjoy after by stone or something like that. It, it sort of has a uh, a ring of, of of caring, you know, like I'm, I'm I brought this to share with you, with all with all of you, family. And uh, that that usually means more to me than a particular style or one that smells like mulling spices or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be if you're going to some sort of a a gathering or celebration that isn't just your standard like get together and share. You're probably going to bring something that's been, you know, aging or sitting around or something that's a little more special in terms of like beer cred or, um, you know, that's been hanging out for a while as opposed to maybe a winter themed beer, if you will. I know oh, that's and it true. totally makes you that guy at the holiday party <laughs> too, where you're the one who brings the, the, the froofy beers, the special beers, the, uh, autumnal need um which is fine I, I think that's fine there's also like can't go wrong with a six pack of fresh hop from sierra nevada uh that definitely feels like the holidays to me and then celebration ale obviously those are two i mean still strictly california things that that i'm used to having during the holidays and it just kind of all makes it feel like it's that time of year again uh, have any of you had either the white IPA? The f- I'm going to guess not because with you know 25 check-ins, that's not a whole lot. Or the uh, Delirium Noel. You should definitely let us know what you thought. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. Or heck, just let us know what you're drinking while you're listening to the show. I've been tagged in some um, in some Untapped check-ins from listeners, and they're kind of like sharing what they're drinking while listening, and that's always really fun to see. So yep. Hey, tag us, tag us no matter what you're doing, because we're always looking and want to see what's going on. So speaking of Sierra Nevada, we're going to take a slightly, um, slightly downer turn and then work our way back up. Um, As many people should know at this point, last month, which was November, if you're listening to this sometime in the future... Um, California saw some of the worst wildfires in the state's history, um, especially the campfire up in Northern California. Uh, I believe that did find that was literally the worst in the history of the state. Um, mm-hmm. It took took way too long to get contained. And finally, I think it only recently they finally got, um, you know, 100 percent on that. These these fires, I mean, they were spread throughout the state, but these fires caused massive damage, um, displacing thousands of Californians, many of them losing everything. Um, it's, it was, it was really, really terrible. Um, Kyle, you're up closer to Northern California. You saw the smoke, obviously San Francisco had some pretty bad, um, 
pretty bad air from that. And I'm down here in Los Angeles, and we saw the um, the effects of the fire out in Malibu uh, pretty heavily. Yeah, I think it was both, you know, obviously everyone losing everything, but also the loss of life for, for those. It was, it, it is and continues to be very rough for everyone involved and especially, you know, the, that entire community that is trying to rebuild that, that whole area. And there's a lot going on to, to try and alleviate that. And I think, um, here in, in the beer community, we're able to do something really special. Yes, definitely. Um, even before the campfire up there in Northern California was contained, um, the the team at Sierra Nevada who are up in Chico, California, which was um, pretty heavily affected by the um, by the fires up there, uh, they they immediately went to work and established something called the Campfire Release Fund, uh, which is a charity to help those who were affected by the campfire, help them um, you know try and you know, get some semblance of their life back and rebuild as they can. Um, and you know they they set up this fund and they made a very hefty contribution to it to get it rolling. Um, but in, in addition to just establishing a fund and putting some money in it, they decided to do something else, something that they do best. They decided to brew a beer. Now, obviously, they brew beers all the time. So what's so special here? Uh, this beer is now is known as the Resilience Butte County Proud IPA. Uh, it's a classic um, West Coast style IPA at 6.8%, 65 IBU. Um, it's brewed with ale yeast and Chinook and Centennial hops. Now, obviously, I'll tell you all this and you'll think to yourself, well, okay, that's cool, but how's that do anything? Well, all profits from this IPA are going to be donated back to the Campfire Relief Fund that Sierra Nevada established. So they're going to be putting this out on tap as well as, I believe, in cans um, throughout their distribution channels. Should be hitting shelves, I think, pretty soon in the next week or two. They've had some um, cool Instagram shots of them um, packaging it up, so it should be making its way out. But all of the profits from this beer being sold will be donated right back to helping those who have been displaced. Obviously, this is just one brewery trying to do their part. But in addition, Sierra Nevada actually reached out to the brewing community and they they invited any brewery that wants to and is willing to to join them in brewing this resilience IPA and matching them by donating all the profits back to this relief fund. Uh, so they 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 put this call out and in the true family spirit of the craft beer world, um, more than 1,400 breweries have pledged to brew the Resilience IPA um, and to donate the profits back to the Campfire Relief Fund. Which is incredible. I think it, we've, all, we've always seen how breweries will collaborate on beers and, um, you know, it's very, very much like we're all headed towards the same goal. Um, but... This is truly those brewing beer rallying around a common cause and not only agreeing to brew beer in a collaborative way and utilizing um, Sierra Nevada's recipe for this stuff, but also committing to donating 100% of the profits. All of the money that they make off of this beer is going directly back into this fund and Sierra Nevada is the one heading this up and the one managing it. And so it's a huge, huge undertaking for them to go through this and actually get everyone on board and committed to donating all these funds. And it is incredible to see that 1,400 breweries. I mean, that is a that is a very large percentage of the current number of breweries 
in the United States. According to the data that they found for an article later, there are 7,000 breweries that operated last year. So, you know, that's a pretty hefty chunk. And we're not just we're not just talking. (coughs) Excuse me. We're not just talking random small breweries. We're talking big breweries, all the major players in craft beer, even some of, um, you know, the larger portfolio, big beer owned breweries are putting stuff out to help out here. You know, really, everybody's coming together and. This is a real this is a real um place where just beer in general is going to do good and all of these breweries big and small are going to come together for a common cause to help these people. Um and it's really really amazing. And you know to your point like I I went through all of the breweries. I've been helping to kind of manage on our side um how this is going to work and it's astonishing to see the, the people that are involved and it really just shows you how how connected and um, really how the brewing community can really come together around a cause. So all, all of these breweries that are um, joining in, they will be brewing their own take on the resilience IPA. Um, they're being given the recipe from Sierra Nevada and, you know, kind of like asked to stick to it as they can, but really the only kind of constraint is to just brew an IPA and call it resilience IPA and donate the proceeds back. So that's really about it. And, um, all these breweries will be putting their version of it on draft in their tap rooms, um, obviously for a limited time. I don't think it will be a very big batch. Um, and the release dates, they will vary. So unfortunately, I can't say like, here's the time when all of the breweries around the country are going to have it on tap because it just depends on their brewing schedule and when they're getting it out. I actually think one of the first ones um, at Fieldworks up in Northern California came out this past week. I think I saw an announcement. So it's starting to make its way out. Um, so you should definitely check with your local brewery, um, to, you know, kind of coordinate when they're going to have it, um, so that you can go and obviously enjoy a great IPA and help out those who have been affected by the fires out here in California. Now, as our part here, we've actually teamed up with Sierra Nevada to reward you for your contribution to the campfire relief fund. Uh, and by your contribution, I mean, enjoying a beer, really, all you have to do is go and buy a great beer, something you would do any other day. And you're already helping people, but to make it a little better and to you know get you out there, um, if you do enjoy this beer and go and try it and track it down, we're going to reward you with a brand new badge that we are doing in partnership with Sierra Nevada. Uh, it will be available to anyone who checks in a Resilience IPA from any of the participating breweries. So um, each brewery is going to have their own version. Um, they will have their own take on Resilience IPA under their brewery's portfolio because Every brewery isn't necessarily going to be the exact same beer. Um, I've heard some people are doing a little spin on the yeast strain. Some people have different hops that they're going to add in. Um, you know, obviously the goal here is just to create a beer and donate it back, not necessarily do a giant collaboration. Um, so go and check into a Resilience IPA from your local brewery that's participating and uh, you will unlock this badge. Um, we'll have a list on our blog of all the ones that we have in the system that will be participating. And there's obviously also going to be a list on Sierra Nevada's website. So we'll be sure to have the links to these in our show notes. And this badge will be available from December 15th, which is um, this week that we're recording um, and through March 1st. So you have plenty of time. And obviously, as I mentioned, it's probably going to be a fairly small run for some of these um, breweries. So, you know, make sure you track it down. But if you can't get it there, Sierra Nevada is going to be distributing their version of it um, in cans. So the badge will be available a little longer so that those of you who want to get the cans can. I think for me, the hardest the hardest thing with this is not just uh, finding a brewery that will have one of these beers on tap. It's 
finding the Sierra Nevada in a can and making that the only beer that I drink for three months just so that all of my beer money ends up actually going to support a community. That'll be the toughest challenge for me. Yeah, exactly. Or just, uh, okay, so how many pints can I get out of a keg? Tally that up. I'll take the whole keg. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's really great to see the support that um, the brewing community is building uh, for this particular community out in California and also uh, putting it out to you folks, you know, craft beer drinkers of America and of of the world, mostly America, because I doubt this will make it overseas. But uh, go find this beer, seek it out, earn the badge and support uh, the rebuilding of this of this community, because beer is a gigantic part of Northern California and Northern California culture. And I think they are doing their best to do their part to help rebuild that area. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, ornaments, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders, leaving enough space around that so you know that's the coupon code. All caps, PODCAST. Say it with me. PODCAST. That's store.untapped.com coupon code PODCAST. That's right. To get 20% off, go do it today. Let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. All right. Our first article up this week comes from TheVerge.com. LG will show a capsule-based craft beer machine at CES next month. CES is uh, usually the first week in January. And as a CES veteran myself, this is big news. Uh, it's mostly a, it's the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas every year. And... If you can imagine, I, I guess, just like a, a, a the biggest convention center that you can think of, full of people and booths and sounds and screens everywhere, uh, this, this happens in Vegas every year and is just an overwhelming, an overwhelming showing from big brands like LG, Sony, uh, Huawei, like pretty much any tech brand that you can think of, they're going to have a booth here and they're going to push it to the limits. It's open to both consumers and to the tech media and to buyers. If you're in the like tech world and you're buying things for your best buy, this is where you go. You work on those deals. You check out what's going to be out in stores in the next year, two, three years, etc. So the fact that this capsule based craft beer thing is going to be shown at CES this year or next month doesn't mean that it's going to show up this year, but it does mean that I think this is the first time that I've seen beer truly like on the floor at CES. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to to say that it has ever been there, but it, there have been several of these like table or countertop um, beer brewing systems that have made their way out, but nothing from a brand as large as LG. So that obviously, if they're going to take a stab at it, it means that they see some sort of future there. LG, L Lager's good. Lager's good. That's good. I like that one. 
<laughs> so LGS announced a capsule-based craft beer system because nothing says craft more than easy one-button operation. The Verge.com and the circuit, circuit Breaker in particular, uh, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously, on this announcement. Um, it's not just a rehashing of their PR marketing or anything like that. It's, it's definitely taking a bit of a stab at the quote-unquote craft side of this. And that, you know, it, does this become sort of like your office coffee maker version of craft beer? Or like a copy machine, right? It's kind of like, hey, did you change... Did you change the pod and the LG brewing machine? Or is this going to be something where um, you you do build sort of like a home brewing community around it or a craft beer community around it? I think the, the Verge's point in this article is that this isn't craft. This is a the, like the most standardization possible that you can get out of the brewing process. Yeah. And to your to your credit, it's called the LG homebrew. That's that's what I put into the terminal if I want to. uh to start up the app, right? The capsules that come with the uh, machine that you use for the uh, one-button operation, they contain malt, yeast, hop oil, and flavoring, um, while the machine automates the whole process from fermentation, carbonation, aging, to serving and cleaning, according to LG. The homebrew will have five beers available, an American IPA, an American Pale Ale, an English Stout, a Belgian-style wit beer, and a dry Czech Pilsner. They've got the they've got the gamut covered right there. That's pretty pretty good variety. Yeah. They say the machine will take around two weeks to produce up to five liters, though that'll depend on the beer type. So unfortunately, it's not like a Keurig. You're not gonna push button get beer. You're gonna push button and wait two weeks. So I mean that that makes me feel a little bit better. At least there's an actual process happening, and it's not just some sort of magical one touch beer producer. Because I can only imagine what that would be. It's like a, it's like running hops through a soda stream and magically you have beer. But in this case, you're actually there is actually going to be a brewing process taking place. And because everybody loves tech and connected devices, there's a mobile companion app where you can check the status of the brewing. Did you say status of the brewing or status of the brewing? I think brewing Both. might be a little closer to yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, got it. So you next time, next time you think, hey, I really want to get into home brewing, I guess you just pick one of these up and kind of. Uh, we got to talk to John and find out what he thinks about this. Yeah, curious. You know, I I think this is we there. Like you said, there are um, there are lots of sort of like quote unquote all in one versions of the the home brewing stuff, and I I don't know if this would be. I don't know if I would want this to be my first foray into the brewing process. I do want to get my hands dirty. I want to know what's going on. I want to <laughs> I want to touch that fermentation. I want to know. I don't know. I want to know how to make this beer. I want to know how the craft beer world has made beer in the past so I can kind of get, you know, more in touch with with my roots. Yeah, and I'm I, having homebrewed myself. I, I went hard when I started. Um, I had a five-gallon kit, and first time out the door, I made a five-gallon batch of beer. Um, you know, I had to boil it in a giant pot on my stove, get the wort, and do everything, and sanitize like a madman. And there's something super rewarding. Granted, now I've, I've scaled down because of apartment living to a one-gallon batch. But there's something re very rewarding about adding the hops yourself and uh, making sure that you time the boil right and doing all that good stuff and cooling your wort. And while it does take time and, you know, your house is going to smell like a, like a malty, malty tea for a while, uh, there's something that just is better, in my opinion, about doing it 
that way as opposed to just putting a capsule in and pushing a button. If, if there's someone who's just looking for the joy of something that was made in their own home, then I guess more power to you because at least it's it's something more than just going down and picking up a... Maybe this is the gateway, you know, to, to actually homebrewing. That's, I'm fine with that. I think, though, that trying to market this towards someone who is is totally aware of the way that craft beer works is probably not the not the best way to do this. Our next article is coming from thetakeout.com. Uh, this is I know Kyle you mentioned that you actually I think you read and enjoy this article from uh, it's ask Kate about beer. I love this column. I really really do. I think it's a good sort of like if you've if you're not familiar with the craft beer world or you aren't familiar with, you know, very 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 specific jargon that is in uh this industry this is a really cool way to kind of get you know weekly updates about what's going on yeah no and every time that i do come across it in my uh, beer news feeds it's always a good like the topics are always solid and it's things that as even as somebody who you know has had a lot of beer and is quote unquote in the industry i still find myself wondering the answers to some of these even more basic questions now, totally. The one that I picked for today's show, I found particularly uh, personal because I've done this twice now in the office here. Um, I accidentally froze my beer. Is it ruined? Uh, I haven't read this article. Um, if this is sort of one of those more recent ones, I, I'm going to guess that there is something maybe on the scientific level, there might be something about the denature, denaturing of proteins that happens in the freezing process, much like if you try and just, you know, cryogenically freeze the human being, there's, there's what, are you, what are you going to do from that, right? It's, <laughs> I'm cryogenically freezing my beer, and it's, it, it like, quote unquote, kills it. Hmm, that's an interesting take. Not quite the case here, unfortunately, because we're not cryogenically freezing in a nice, safe zone. Kate, Kate knows her stuff. Uh, I, I need Kate to school me. On this from the takeout.com. It is truly the best and worst of times. Winter is great because, hey, your deck just turned into a giant fridge. But also, whoops, you left the six pack out overnight. Now, myself, I've actually done this. I We were out in um, Sedona at one point and it started snowing. And uh, I don't I can't remember if we had a fridge in our hotel room or not. But I stuck a, I stuck a, a couple of beers out on the patio. And like three hours later, they were perfectly cold. So that was that was really fun. Uh, so this edition of the column is dedicated to drinkers who have absentmindedly left their beers in the snow or freezer, which is me. I've done that twice now for the show. Uh, the question at hand is whether your bottled or canned beer, provided it hasn't shattered into tiny pieces, because obviously that liquid is expanding in there, is going to taste good enough to drink. I think this is the same question with vegetables, right? Maybe it's maybe it's not the same question, but it's I don't buy certain vegetables frozen because the flavor of them is so impacted by that quick freezing process or the like park cooking slash freezing process that they just do not taste the same as the raw ingredients once you cook them what's an example broccoli broccoli frozen tastes like garbage it is soggy and the only way to really get it to to cook off is to cook it super fast maybe deep frying i don't know maybe that would be a way to do it but air frying you know something like that is the only way to keep it dry and also i don't know like not make it taste like it tastes like a freezer like you're licking the inside of the freezer 
That does not sound appetizing at all. Raw broccoli, though. Mm. Mm. All over that. Yeah, that's true. Um, to answer the question that has been posed here, uh, Kate has asked uh, Matt Meadows, the draft beer quality ambassador for the Brewers Association and the director of field quality for New Belgium Brewing, to answer it. Uh, Meadows says the most crucial question when your beer has frozen is whether the beer can or bottle has become unsealed. Now, obviously, with liquid expanding in there, there's always a chance of the cap kind of rupturing or the can exploding. Take your pick. Um, some liquid, obviously, the liquid expands when it freezes, and the added volume and pressure can sometimes rupture the seal or, you know, break the bottle cr- bottle's crown. If the vessel stays sealed, he says, the beer will taste normal once it uh, is allowed to completely thaw again. Normal, huh? So he says. And I, this guy hmm. seems like someone we can trust his opinion here. Um, he says, if the vessel stays 100% sealed and if the beer is allowed to return back to a standard temperature, then Henry's law dictates that carbonation will go back into solution in the same, pl- uh, in the same place it was before. Okay. Yes, I get that. Now I'm curious to know. Henry's law is one of the gas laws formulated by British chemist William Henry in 1803. It states that at a constant temperature, the amount of a given gas dissolved in a given type and volume of liquid is directly proportional to the partial pressure of the gas in the equilibrium with that liquid. Yes, that makes sense. Anyway, so, but, you know, if the bottle bursts and the uh, cap has popped off, your beer is probably gone because you've lost the carbonation and it's uh, kind of been spoiled there. If you are going to drink a beer that has been frozen, you're going to want to let it completely thaw back to liquid before drinking it. And one of the reasons here is uh, to thaw completely is to avoid what they call chill haze. Now, we like haze, but not this kind of haze. Although chill haze does sound like a new... um, craft beer based um music genre because obviously there's chill wave <laughs> and we got chill haze <laughs> yes um i i have probably i don't i i have super cooled water before if you've never done this um if you leave a bottle of water in the fridge or freezer it, it probably the fridge if a fridge gets real real cold right it's in a real cold part of the fridge you leave it alone don't touch it but you you slowly pull it back out of the fridge and then give it a shake back and forth. You'll watch the water inside of it sort of turn into this slush. Um, it was still in its water form, its liquid form, but the water itself was super cooled and it's making this like uh, basically phase change happen before your eyes, which never, I mean it's the same rule about like you don't watch your water boil because it'll never boil if you just keep watching it. It's kind of like that thing, but it freezes in front of your eyes. It's wild. Now, I've got to try this now. That's awesome. Um, you know, obviously, haze is a visual thing. And in this scenario, they're not talking about a visual. Um, they say the chill haze, it's a, a slightly opaque sheen in your beer uh, of straight up floating bits or chunks. It's caused by the proteins coming out of solution and binding to each other. I see your reaction there. I'm waiting for you to say something. Did I Did I not say something about the proteins? You did. I can just, uh, <laughs> protein, something proteins. Got it. No, no. Ky- your your chemistry background is really spot on for a lot of this. It's really cool. I should have I said something like amino acids or, you know. Yeah been been far more scientific than i than i actually am i don't know what's going on but but hopefully they do yeah and it it's not going to make your beer taste or smell any different it does look and feel a bit unappetizing though so you're going to want to let it thaw completely to avoid the haze 
Um, and then here's uh, Meadows does have an does have some advice if you want to avoid the freezer or the potential for leaving something in the freezer for chilling your beer quickly. Um, basically, you can stick your bottle in a can, uh, bottles or cans in a bucket of salted ice water. So that lowers the uh, freezing temperature of mm-hmm. the water. And so it'll stay liquid longer because you have some uh, salt in solution. And that'll actually lower the temperature, lower than freezing, and keep your beer colder than than it would be in the fridge, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I keep um I keep a bucket of salted ice water on hand at all times though. How's that? I'm I'm obviously kidding. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> it sounds simple enough, right, to to do to make, but uh it's kind of like that that same concept where you're making ice cream, right? You put salt in your in your ice and it keeps it it actually puts it super low on on the the freezing point. That's a very good point. That that that's a good point. I see. Obviously, when when you watch, uh, say, cooking shows and they're making ice cream, they add salt, and you're thinking, "Ew, why are they adding salt?" That's a good point. I didn't I didn't put that together. It's for the ice itself. It's not actually for the the ice cream. You're not making salt ice cream. Yeah, exactly. To get that freezing point down, right? Right. To make it to make it cold, cold, cold. Nice. All right. So next time we need to cool a beer, we need some ice, some salt, some water, and a bucket. Perfect. Our next article is from vinepair.com, one of my favorite places to go and seek out articles. Uh, Quote, unquote, an unprecedented boom in microbreweries sees EU beer, that's the European Union, uh, production reach eight-year high. We like when beer production is going up. That means more for everyone. Uh, European beer production has hit an eight-year high in uh, 2017 uh, with nearly 39.6 billion liters brewed. As published in a report by trade organization, the Brewers of Europe. That's a fun name. Very creative. In one year alone, the number of breweries active in the EU grew by nearly 1,000, says the president of the Brewers of Europe organization. Uh, In the last five years, the number of microbreweries has doubled, and the European Union now counts an estimated 9,500 breweries. That's a ton. Yeah, I mean, granted that's spread out through the entire European Union, uh, but I mean, that's amazing to see. Microbreweries uh, now account for three quarters of the EU's active brewers, and the UK has the most breweries with 2,430, while Germany has the largest output at 93 million liters. Now, that doesn't surprise me, though. That doesn't surprise me. No, not, 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 even, not even a little bit. The Czech Republic is the thirstiest nation, meanwhile, with an average consumption of 138 liters, which is 291 pints per person. I mean, that's that's obviously less than a pint a day, but still, that's damn close. It does say that part of this consumption comprises no and low alcohol beer, which is a category that now accounts actually for 6% of the European Union's total output. And we have talked a bit recently about um, no and low alcohol beer and how it's becoming more popular. So that does make perfect sense there. While the rise in production is without a doubt good news for European drinkers, the increase also has positive economic effects. The EU's brewing sector generates more than 2 million jobs and contributes $57 billion to the region's economy. I think this is good for the region in general. I, I would love to finally make a trip out to uh, the EU anywhere, truly, to, to go check this out. Um, but it seems like it's on a good trajectory, so... Got to make those plans, check it twice, get out there, and check out some of these new breweries. Speaking of good news for the beer industry, our very own Brewers Association 
has released uh, some stats for the year. This is coming to us from BrewersAssociation.org. As craft brewers continue to make waves in an evolving market, the Brewers Association, the not-for-profit trade association dedicated to small and independent American breweries, I feel like we know that already, looked back on the craft brewing community's contributions, highlights, and defining beer moments of the past year. Uh, One of those is that the industry is stable and steady. The craft brewing industry continues to grow. The Brewers Association mid-year survey measured a 5% growth by volume here in 2018. That's really great to see that it has continued. It is slightly slower than um, second half of the in the second half of the year, but at least uh, at least it's growing. Yeah, and this is all great for us. Honestly, I love to see more people getting involved in craft beer, learning more about it, being able to drink uh, from different places, and uh, hopefully track that with us. Yeah, and as far as you know, the impact on um, on human beings here, the brewing industry in 2018 actually has uh, created or you know held 500,000 jobs, which is actually up nine percent from 2017. So there are quite a few people that are um, employed by and reliant on this industry, to, you know, just for their own livelihood. Yeah, and that's obviously a a much deeper conversation that we can't get into the intricacies of at the moment. Um, There's a lot going on with the labor movement inside of the brewing industry and in sort of the hospitality around the brewing industry. And I think it's incredibly important, but it is far more nuanced than we typically get here on this podcast. And as far as an overall economic impact, the craft brewing industry in the United States has fed in $76.2 billion into the U.S. economy in uh, 2017, which is up 11 percent over 2016. So that's pretty spectacular there. And as I mentioned before, we're looking at over 7,000 breweries have uh, operated in the United States in 2018. It is. And, you know, the the one stat that they put in here that I found actually to be one of the most interesting is that 85% of adults 21 plus live within 10 miles of a brewery. You can say that for the big cities here, I think, or at least in <laughs> in the places where I was saying you could just hop off the train and, and go to a brewery. But um, it's sort of in rural America. In the middle of nowhere, uh, you're not likely to. I'm 45 minutes from a brewery right now. Yeah, but um, but they're and it's it's pretty far. I feel like breweries though are popping up all over, even in rural communities. Small towns are getting their own little local brewery. I I get I totally get what you're saying. Like, you know, look at any sort of metropolitan area, you're going to have a bajillion breweries in that small space. I think the thing is though, we weren't built around that here in the U.S. Right, like in in places where uh, there have been pubs, there have been breweries and that need to, you know, filter in a, a whole bunch of uh, liquid enjoyment. Uh, they, where there's a need, there's a way, right? You, you, you find, you find a way to put it there. 85% though. That's still, that's pretty, it's pretty good. Very high. And ending on, you know, one more fun fact, we did talk about this a while back, but uh, they did put a fun data point in here for the haze craze um also mentioning that you know there were more than 391 beer entries this year in the juicier hazy ipa which was a brand new category for the great american beer festival in 2018 so we talked about that a while ago but i still i feel like that's a fun thing to point out because obviously uh i feel like i feel like the haze craze has died down a little bit people are still making them but it's not i feel like it's just it's kind of become passe at this point when breweries 
are no longer trying to buck the trend by being very different or undercutting the popularity of a particular style, then you kind of know it hit critical mass. It's doing its thing. Uh, Big beer brands, small beer brands, everyone is doing it. And it's just sort of, it's a part of the culture now. Everyone's doing it. (laughs) This is true. And wrapping up the stats, we have one more fun thing here. Um, According to the Brewers Association's data here, 1.1 million homebrewers exist now. So over 1 million homebrewers produced more than 1.4 million barrels of beer, which is equal to 1% of the total U.S. beer production. That's pretty, that's a pretty gnarly stat right there. Yeah, it really is. Um, I think the other cool part is if you're speaking about homebrewing um, and kind of rolling it back to our uh, previous story about the Resilience IPA, there is a homebrewing recipe for that. So if you are actually into homebrewing, if you're part of this, uh, you know, community of, of homebrewers, um, go find that because the, the we'll put it in the show notes, I guess. Um, they put out a five-barrel recipe for homebrewers to make the Resilience IPA, which is kind of cool. You know, if you're just curious about what it tastes like and you're not able to get one in your area, you can go through that process. If you, if you aren't one part of the 85% uh, of Europeans that have a brewery within 10 miles of them, um, yeah, you can make it yourself, which is kind of cool. Just wanted to put that that part out I there. Have gathered the, uh, I've gathered the URL and we'll be sure to include it. Fantastic. Perfect. So on that note, you'll find that link and a whole lot more over at podcast.untapped.com. Of course, if you've got any questions for us, send them to us. You can connect on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're at Untapped. You can tag us if you're listening to the podcast right now, drinking a beer uh, on Untapped. I'm at Kyle Roderick. Tim is T-I-M-M-3-H. And we'll be back again next week. Until then. Cheers. Cheers.